not physically, to hit people. Let's open it up and let it change us, let it transform us, amen? Thank you, Jesus. He's so good. He's so awesome. Father, we're so thankful you brought us into this place tonight. You've brought believers. You've brought believers together. Brothers and sisters, we stand as one before your great throne by the blood of Jesus, freely coming into your presence with confidence, knowing that you have, through the shed blood of Jesus, through the death and resurrection, you have made us to be your sons and daughters, carriers of your name, carriers of your nature, carriers of your authority on this earth. And Lord, as we step in to a, a time of reading your word, of, of letting it Examine us as we examine it. We pray, Lord, that, that it would come alive in, in us, just like a, the seed sown that you talked about in the Gospels, that that seed would enter into our very beings, that that seed of the Word would enter into our spirits and change how we think, change how we act, change how we live, change how we love. Lord, that we would leave here not just educated, but transformed by your Word, made alive. And Father, if there's things that need to come alive, I pray that they'd come alive at the, at the speaking of your Word. If things need to be woken up, that they would awake. They'd awaken as we read. They'd awaken as we pray. They'd awaken as we believe. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm believing and I know that your Holy Spirit is our teacher. Your Holy Spirit is our guide. And so our prayer tonight is that the Holy Spirit would be at work in every heart, teaching, guiding, directing, poking, whatever you want to do, Lord. And we're thankful for it. We open up our hearts wide open to you. And we ask you, Lord, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've been joining us the past couple Wednesday nights, you know we've been going through the book of 2 Corinthians, and uh, we have been creeping through chapter 1. Creeping not in the sense that we're being creepy, creepy in the sense that we're being slow. But slow is good. Like I said, when it's a rich meal, you go slow, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we've ended up in verse 15. It's unfortunate I have to remind you of this because we sometimes wish that um, uh, the life of a, once we get saved that everything is lollipops and rainbows, but it's not always that. And I have to remind you that this book, this letter, carries so much life and truth in it. But part of the reason this letter was written was uh, in defense of, of the Apostle Paul's ministry. It's sad that that ever had to happen. But I want you to know this is not one of those letters that you write to the newspaper when they write a bad article about you. And you're just mad and you're ticked off. This is a letter that was directly God-breathing, God-inspired. So at some point in this whole time where the Apostle Paul was being attacked, he had to let his emotions go away. And he had to respond from the Spirit of God instead of responding out of anger, instead of responding out of revenge, instead of responding out of bitterness. He had to say, God, what do you want to say to this church? It's important, as, as, as any of you know, when you have been trusted with the Word of God, when you've been trusted with His ministry, that you know you never respond out of your flesh, you never respond out of your emotions, you instead go deep and go to the Spirit and say, what does the Holy Spirit have to say about this? Sometimes you keep your mouth shut until you know, because the Bible says that it's good to be slow to speak, isn't it? And let, when you do speak, let your words be seasoned with grace as though with salt. So this letter was not written as a, as a hasty and panicky defense. This is a defense, yes, of the ministry, a defense of the gospel. 
It's also a letter that's full of, of truth and revelation. And in, in, in the end, this was the Holy Spirit saying something to the church in Corinth that they needed to hear. And thank God if they needed to hear it, we probably do too. So let's open to 2 Corinthians 1.15, where we last left off. Give you a little bit of background. We kind of see through this letter that there are opponents of Paul that are attacking him at every level. One of the things they attacked him with was that he had initially intended to come see these guys on a trip. And he had to change his plans. We assume the Holy Spirit said, don't, don't go. And there were certain reasons for it, and he explains his reasons. But the opponents said, well, see, he, he just goes back and forth. He's a flip-flopper. You thought he was coming, now he's not. He can't be trusted. And here's what the Holy Spirit said through Paul about that situation. In verse 15, he says this, In this confidence I intended at first to come to you, so that you might twice receive a blessing. Thank God. When a, when a ministry comes, it shouldn't be to, to just promote their own ministry. When a ministry comes, it should be to bring the blessing of God wherever they go, right? And, and you, as ministers of God, where you go, you bring his blessing. And so he says, if I, I, I intended to come twice, so you twice receive a blessing. But he says this. He says, that is to pass your way into Macedonia, and again from Macedonia, to come to you, and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this. Vacillating meaning going back and forth, being wishy-washy, being flip-floppy. He says, I wasn't vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, so that with me there will be yes, yes and no, no at the same time? This is an important question. He says, what I purpose, in other words, what you decide to do when you make your plans in life, now, we could say he says this because he's the Apostle Paul, but you should say this as a believer. As a believer, when I purpose to do something, where's that coming from? Because here he says, I didn't purpose according to the flesh. What happens when you purpose according to the flesh? Yes, yes and no, yes, no, yes and no at the same time. When you, I mean, think about it. Jesus talks about this. The, all the, the books in the New Testament talk about this. When we got born again, when we, when we were uh, filled with that light and filled with the truth of the gospel, Something happened to our eyes. The eyes of our heart were enlightened. And now we see what we couldn't see before. The Bible says in Colossians, my prayer for you is that you would know that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. Not just have a hint, but be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may know how to walk. So when you're, before you knew Jesus, you're kind of just feeling it out. You're... You're going from situation to situation, from relationship to relationship, trying to figure out where to go. But when we were born again, the Bible says we were rescued from the kingdom of darkness and we were brought in to the kingdom of his glorious son. We were brought, we were filled with light. Jesus said, here's the difference between you and a slave. He says, I don't call you a slave anymore. I call you a friend. He says, the difference is the slave doesn't know what the master is doing. The slave has no clue. I call you a friend. He makes his will known to you. Now, you don't know all of it at once probably, right? I mean, you probably don't know. You can't look around the room and say, I know what everybody in this room is going to do with their life, or should do with their life. At least I don't know that. I don't know if you do. You're, you're more advanced than me. We don't know that. But what you do know is what God reveals to you, and he is faithful to reveal his will to you. As, as you walk, his word is a light, a lamp to your feet, a light into your path. He wants you to be filled with the knowledge of that will. So you're not just stumbling around trying to figure out where to go in life. But when you purpose, this is what I'm going to do, he wants you to base that 
on what the Holy Spirit's saying, not just on your flesh. Watch what the next verse says. It says, but as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. We're going to come back to that. But let's keep reading for a minute. He says, therefore, he says, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus. Silvanus is another word another uh, name for, for Titus, me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but it is yes in him. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who established us, establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Now listen to that. I mean, we've talked about this before. In fact, I think a few months ago we talked about that particular verse. So I won't go too far into that, even though I, I wish I could and I love it so much. But we're going to see it from a different angle. But first, just, just look at this. He says the promises of God are always what? Yes. Why? Because once he's promised it, the question of whether it's, gonna, whether it's his will or not is taken out, right? If he promised it, it is his will. He doesn't make promises that are against his will. Right? Like I've said before, he didn't promise you that you should move to Edmonton. You have to ask him that. That's not in the word. Brent, buyer, you should move to Edmonton. Or you should go visit Edmonton this weekend. That's not in there. So there are times where you don't know the will of God and you have to ask him. But there are other things that are clear in the word of God that we know are his will. It's his will that you're born again. It's his will that you'd be filled up to the full with all that he is. It's his will that you'd walk as sons and daughters of the living God. It's his will that you'd walk free of guilt, condemnation, and shame by the blood of Jesus. It's his will that you walk as he created you to walk. It's his will that you be healed. All these things are in the word. And he says, as many as are the promises of God. And believe me, there are many, right? If you ever read your Bible, you know this is many. As many as are the promises of God. In him, they are yes. God doesn't change his mind based on the way things are going. God doesn't change his mind about his word based on the situation or based on how he's feeling that day. He is eternally faithful. And here's the good news. When he made that promise, he already saw this. He already saw everything that was going on. He's not surprised by anything. You can't surprise God. Adam tried, hide in a bush, jump out. You know, see if you can surprise God. Doesn't work. He knows it. He's already been here. He's here right now. He's here. He's in the future. He's, I mean, he is just, he's, he's everywhere, right? He's omnipresent. He's not confined to time. So when he made that promise, he didn't say, oh, but 2012, I'm not going to be able to keep it. 2013, I'm not going to be able to keep it. No, he'd already seen it, and he knows he's able to keep his word. The only reason you and me have to ever change our word, if we give our word to somebody and we're people of integrity, the only reason sometimes we have to go back on it is an unexpected situation rises and it's beyond our strength to meet what we said we'd do. And I hate when those times happen, don't you? When you, were, you said, I will help you move, and then somebody goes to the hospital and you've got to go help them. You know, or, or you know, something happens in your, your house or your, your car breaks down. All these things, I mean, you hate when that happens, right? Because you like to keep your word. But anytime that happens, it's a result of our own inability to overcome it. It's a result of our own not being able to see ahead of time. And we're human, so there's, there's some weaknesses there. It, and I'm not talking about weakness of, uh, I'm not talking about moral weakness or 
ethical weakness. I'm talking about sometimes you just can't be two places at once. I'll give you an example. Um, I was supposed to speak in Loon Lake at uh, a, a, a winter retreat on March something, <laughs> March, I think, 17th or something. And you know what I didn't foresee? What I had a hint might happen, but I didn't foresee is that my son would be born early. So I, I didn't just say, Tia, you're on your own. I'm already booked. There's nurses. You'll be fine, right? Bad move. So what did I have to do? Well, I had to call him and say, I'm so sorry, but my wife's having a baby. And she had the baby on the 13th, but there, uh, how many, however many days after that I still had to be with her at the hospital, there were some complications with, with Moses. There were some things we, I had to be with her. And so I, I called, I said, I'm very sorry. This is what's going to happen. Uh, and, and they were very understanding. Now, do I wish I could have kept all my appointments? Absolutely. I really wish I could have. But you know what? I can't be two places at once. If I had to choose, I'll be with my wife. God's not like that. See, that's a result of my limitation. I can't be two places at once. You know he can? So he has no limitation. If he has no limitation, he never has to break his word. He's never surprised. He's seen it already. He saw it when he made the promise. He'll never break his word. But here's the good news. As many as the prom are the promises of God in him, they're yes. And here's our part. He's, his part is saying, yes, I promised it, yes. Our part is to add our amen to the equation, to say, I believe that. So be it in my own life. As Mary said, let it be done to me according to your word. If you said it, I believe it. End of the story. That's, it's done. That's our part of it, is our adding our amen to it. And it says, when we do that, it is to the glory of God through us. We've talked a lot about that, so let's go back a little bit and read what he says. Because here, he's, this is his own, his own ethics, his own uh, trustworthiness is being put to the test. And what does he say? This is so important. He says to them, as God is faithful. And listen, he says, as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. Now, that's a powerful thought. Because we can kind of shirk responsibility and go, I'm not God. You shouldn't be depending on me to start with. I'm not God. He is. You know, I, I, I remember um, working <laughs> in the Christian music industry and, and hearing um, a lot of times bands would do something really stupid. And, and, and they probably were under a pretty intense spotlight. And you've got to cut them some slack. But they'd always say, hey, man, we are going to disappoint you. Believe me. I understand that. You're human. You should not be looking to those bands as, 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 as your Holy Spirit, as your Jesus. You know, you've got to look to God, right? But at the same time, at the same time, by knowing he is faithful, it changes me. And because he's faithful, the Apostle Paul says, because God is faithful, our word to you is not yes or no. He doesn't say, well, God is faithful. You can't trust us, but at least you can trust him. You can't trust us as far as you can throw us. But uh, you've got God, so don't worry about it. No, he says, as God is faithful, our word. You've got to understand that when you were born again, you were, I hate to treat you like kids, but when you were born again, you were born again. 
We've talked about this before. The Bible says we receive the spirit of adoption, right? That's cool, isn't it? But adoption, like the world knows it, means that uh, you may look different than your adopted parents. You may have different traits. You may have different abilities. You may have different skin color. But when you were adopted into the family of God, it was a radical adoption. You were born again. You weren't just adopted as an eight-year-old into a family. You were reborn. And the Bible says when you were reborn, you took on his nature. You took on his traits. You took on his DNA. I'm not talking about physical DNA, right? You still carry your old DNA. But I'm talking about spiritually, you were made brand new. The Bible says you can choose to walk by the spirit or walk by the flesh. He says now you have no obligation to the flesh. You don't owe the flesh anything. You don't have to do what your flesh wants to do. You can, but you don't have to anymore. Before you got born again, you were a slave to it. You had to. You had no, you couldn't escape it. You were a slave. You were bound to it. But Jesus set you free, and you have no obligation to the flesh anymore. The Bible says if we walk by the Spirit, it says in Romans 8, those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. How do you live like a child of God? To walk by the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that Jesus had, He stuck in you. That's pretty cool. You know, when we say we're followers of Jesus, be imitators of Christ. I mean, I'm not talking about like when you go to the zoo and you make a pose and the chimp goes and makes the same pose. You're like, ha ha, he's acting like he's a human. Or they'd put the commercials out and that, that, that monkey's, you know, it, it, you know, he's got a, got a nice suit, uh, tie and dress shirt on. It's got the, the old accountant's brim on and is typing out like he's doing a job. And we laugh at the commercial. Isn't that funny? He thinks he's human, you know. They made him look like a human. Sometimes we kind of think of ourselves like that. Like we're, like we're copying Jesus as best as we can, but we're not even coming close. But that's not the case. He gave you the same spirit he had. He gave you his nature. I mean, you're not just trying to, to, to mimic him as best as you can. You've been given the ability and the grace to be like him. Now, you've got to believe that that is a possibility. And the way to do that is to listen to the Spirit, follow the Spirit instead of following the flesh. And you can do that. And we must do that. And it changes our nature. So you think about how much your word is worth. There should be a difference between how much your word was worth before you got born again and now that you're born again. Because as he is, so are we in this world. And because he's faithful, our word is faithful. We're faithful. And you may say, that doesn't seem to be the reality I'm living in. Well, that can change. Jesus has already done the work for that to change. You've got to put your trust in him. You've got to believe that there is a spirit inside you that's new, that's recreated, that's already righteous and holy, and that it, it, it is filled with his spirit. And if you have his spirit, you can walk like him and you can talk like him. You can be like him. But you've got to choose which one you're going to follow, which one you're going to listen to. We have that choice every time, don't we? Somebody, somebody ticks you off. Somebody says something bad about you. You immediately are confronted with two instincts as a believer. 
you're confronted with the old instinct of the flesh to snap, to get revenge, to respond in anger. Or you can respond from the Spirit of God. How would Jesus respond in this situation? And you know what? Sometimes even when I do that, I say, how would Jesus respond? Even then, sometimes you want to go to your brain and figure out how Jesus would respond. But that's the wrong place to go. I love your brain. Your brain is, is, is important. It's valuable. But you're mixing the order up. You go to the Spirit. We, the men talked about this at Bible study. How Jesus, how Jesus, when he responded to a situation... How everybody else went first to their brain, what they knew, what they were comfortable with. But Jesus consulted the Spirit of God. He communed with the Father, and he knew God's response. We talked at men's Bible study about how, uh, you know, that woman comes in, how Mary came in, and she soaked his feet with perfume, and, and, and she washed it with her hair. And, and how immediately the, the human response, especially if you're like Judas and you're a crook, is the, the human response was, couldn't that money have been spent somewhere else? Wouldn't it have been better to have spent on the poor? But Jesus is not responding based on what he's, he knows, what he's comfortable with. He responds by the Spirit. And by the Spirit, he knows that this has significance. This has to do with his burial and resurrection. That this woman's worship is worth more than they think it's worth. As the fragrance fills the house... Jesus saw something no one else saw. So in every situation, you've got the opportunity to consult the Spirit or go straight to your head. Or if you walk by the Spirit, you're listening. You're always listening. Jesus said, if you drink of me, out of your innermost will flow rivers of living water. That's where the life is. The life is in the Spirit. That's where the life is. If you will walk by the Spirit, you'll see life in every area. You'll see the fruit of the Spirit, right? Can I read that to you real quick? Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about faithfulness tonight. Do you know faithfulness is not a learned trait? Faithfulness is not a genetic trait. You're not born with it by your, I mean, it came from your parents. Your parents were faithful, so you're faithful. Now, maybe you learned some good habits from them. But I'm talking about godly faithfulness. It's not just something you pick up or you read a few books about it, and so you try to do it. Godly faithfulness is a fruit of a renewed spirit. Galatians 5 says this. It says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit. Now he's talking to believers, right? He's talking to believers. You have a choice. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So instead of spending your whole life going, oh, I've got to resist the flesh, resist the flesh, resist the flesh, resist the flesh. That feels like the flesh. Run the other way. Sometimes what you need to do is stop thinking so much about what your flesh wants and start thinking about what the spirit wants. And you find when you turn your attention from the flesh to the spirit, you're not doing the flesh stuff anymore. Right? I found that people that, that spend all their time worried that they're going to slip up, slip up. That's all they're thinking about. It's like that football player. If he's, if he's at the Super Bowl and all he's thinking is don't fumble, don't fumble, don't fumble, don't fumble. In his brain, he is playing a picture of him fumbling over and over again. And usually that leads to fumbling. So what does the coach tell him? Instead of saying don't fumble, he says hold on to that ball with everything you've got. So that's the image he's got. So that's what's going through his head is I'm holding on to that ball. He doesn't fumble. 
because they don't go together, right? Look at what it says here. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But, thank God there's a but, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. They're easy to spot, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. And in case you thought that was the complete list, he says things like these. Right? So this is not the complete list, but these are little markers in your life that go, I'm probably not walking by the Spirit. This is what's coming out. But he says this. But, he says those, and I've warned you that those who practice such things, in other words, those that have made those things, those that, those that are regular just into those, those are a part of their life, that's what they're defined by, they don't inherit the kingdom of God. But he says this. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now we've said this before, but fruit is not something you have to manufacture. Have you ever tried to make fruit? You know, figure out how it's made, synthesize it. Brandon, have you ever tried to do that? Get in the lab and just make some fruit? It's difficult, isn't it? As hard as we try, you know that orange drink is not as good as orange juice. Nobody's been able to pull it off making fruit without a fruit tree. Because God designed it. It's pretty hard to replicate something God designed. That tree, if it's an apple tree, does not have to focus on producing apples. It just does. It doesn't have to say, oh, man, I'm a bad apple tree. I keep on making oranges. I'm a terrible apple tree. I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe I can fix this. Maybe I can try a little harder. And, and then it tries a little harder, and, and out of it comes these weird mutant hybrids of apples and oranges together. And it says, I gave it my shot. I only came out half right. That doesn't work, does it? It produces an apple tree because it's an apple. It's an orange tree, produces oranges. Now, if it's sick, it may not produce fruit. If it's, if it's, not, getting the, if it's not getting sunlight, if it's not getting water, it won't produce fruit. But, but really, it, it is designed in its very nature is the ability to produce fruit. In your very nature, the renewed nature that God gave you when you were born again is the ability, is the, is the nature to produce fruit. You were made for it. And that can't happen unless you're connected to Jesus, right? He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But, but in me, when you stay connected to me and the Father's the vine dresser, I'm the vine, you will bear much fruit and your joy will be made full. So look at this, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, notice it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit. Why? It's all one package that comes. When you walk by the Spirit, you're not going to get one or two. This is all yours through Jesus Christ. The fruit of a renewed Spirit, when you're walking by that Spirit, that Holy Spirit inside of you, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and there it is, faithfulness. He goes on to say, we got faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Look at that. Faithfulness is not necessarily just learn. You can learn things about faithfulness. You can grow, right? 
faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. You say, where does that fruit come from? We know it's the Spirit that God gave us. That's that Spirit that, that's united with Him. We know what's the seed that's sown into your life. One of those main things, Jesus says that He sows the Word into your life and it produces fruit in your life. If you receive that Word with an open heart, with a pure heart, you let it go down, you let it go deep, you stick to it, that Word produces things in you. Why? Because the Word of God is not educational or merely educational. We've said this so many times, you're probably tired of me saying it, but God didn't say, let there be light and, and, and have, to sit li you know, have to sit the universe down and explain to it why, it should why you should produce some light. You know, the world would be better off if, you, if we had some light in it. Please, reason with me here. Don't you think we, there should be light in the universe? That's not what God did. He didn't teach the universe how to have light. He just said, let there be light. And his words carried power to make it happen. So when I hear the word of God, when I read the word of God, that seed comes into me. And inside that little seed is everything necessary for me to grow and produce fruit. Inside that is everything. You know what? Here's the cool thing. I, I shared this last year. But one day I realized this. Sometimes we think, you know, if somebody preaches a good message or a scripture comes alive to us in a certain way, we think that's as, that's as excited as we're ever going to get about it. You know, the biggest it was in me was when he first preached it. Man, I got it. You know, we, we say that. But think about it. If you're sowing the word into your life, it's in seed form. And that's as small as it'll ever get. It only gets bigger from there. You let it grow. So as much as you got excited, you know, I've sat, I've sat in the chairs and had somebody say something that I'd heard a thousand times. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit took a hold of that thing. And when I heard it, I believed. And something came alive in me. And I knew that, that my life was about to change. That this, what I just heard, even though I knew that memory verse as a little kid, that I heard it in Revelation, just came open to me. And the Holy Spirit was, was saying, this is for you. And the moment I heard it, I knew my life would never be the same. And what we do in those moments is you receive it with gladness, you receive it with joy, but then you let it grow. You let it get big inside of you. You let it change you. And the faithfulness of God is much like the love of God. All of these fruits are, are, are the same. These fruits of the Spirit, this fruit of the Spirit, are things that God is full of. They come from Him. They're His nature. So when 1 John says we love, why? Because he first loved us. It says God is love. So we know, it says we know if we're children of God, why? Because we love. We know we're his children because we share his nature. You see, the biblical idea of being a son or daughter, especially the sonship in the scripture, we think of it very loosely. Our father-son relationships in our culture are, are, are not as tight as maybe they should be. But a biblical idea of being a child or a son, and, and, and women, you're included in that sonship, as weird as it sounds, because in, in that day and age, 
son, the son, the oldest son, was the one that got the inheritance, right? And the Bible says in Christ there's not, neither fa- male nor female. You're all included in that part. You all get that inheritance. And so when I say sonship, understand we're all included in that. But here's the cool thing. To them, to say you're the son of somebody didn't just mean that someday when they croak, you're going to get their stuff. It meant that you carried their nature. You carried their name. You look like them. You act like them. And when he made you his child, he gave you his nature. Second Peter 1 lays it out and says, we've now become partakers. We have become partakers of the divine nature. We have. Not in the sweet by and by. Not someday in glory. But when we were born again, we were partakers of the divine nature. It says he has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And then he goes through all of these things. It says they're yours through the true knowledge. It says, he says, by these precious and magnificent promises, we have these things. Wow. Precious and magnificent promises. So you've got to consider, I have already been partaker of the divine nature. So when, when I say, if God is faithful, I'm faithful. It's because he gave me that. When I say, I can love you, I might not have been able to love you before, but I can love you now because he's love and he loved me first. Here's the great thing about God's love. God's love didn't just wash over you. God's love didn't just soothe you. When he loved you, he gave you that love. Not just to be loved, but to love. And he said to his disciples, and he says the same thing to us, freely you've received. Now you freely give. Why? You can't give something you don't have. Everything God gave you, you have to give away. Peter walks up to the man, Peter and John, going to the the temple. They, They run into this guy who's begging, right? And for all his life, he has been a beggar because he's had a physical disability he could never overcome. And when he's begging to them, what do they say? Silver and gold we don't have. But what we have, what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. Now you've got to hear what he said. He didn't say what I know. He didn't say what I believe. He didn't say what I learned. He, said, he didn't say what I pray. He said what I have. See, Peter had a revelation that if God gave me this, if Jesus gave me his name, I have the ability and the authority in Christ to look at you and say, get up. That's huge. You've got to consider what you have in Christ, who you are in him. The old excuses don't work anymore. Because if he's faithful, I can be faithful. Because that faithfulness is a fruit of that spirit he put inside of me. Before we wrap this up, I want to read you from John 17, one of the most famous prayers in the Bible. Jesus prayed it. And every time I need to fix my theology, every time I need to fix my old thinking, I go back to this prayer and see what Jesus himself said. Because religion will warp you on this. Religion will teach you that you're being too arrogant to think such things. 
Read what Jesus prayed. Read what he said. Jesus prayed this. In verse 1, he says, Jesus spoke these things, lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you've given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you. So eternal life is not just having a ticket to heaven, is it? Eternal life means you can know him. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name. It means I've revealed it. I've uncovered your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now, they have come to know that everything you've given me is from you. For the words that you gave me. Now, what did, Jesus' whole ministry is based on those words. He spoke. You, you watch. He may have put his hands on people, but he never healed anybody without saying something. He never cast on an evil spirit without saying something. He didn't teach people t- telepathically. Put your head against mine. I'm going to communicate you to a, a truth. No, he taught them. What did he teach them? He taught them by the, by the word of the Father. He taught them the word of God. And he says this, the words which you gave me, I have given to them. It's big, isn't it? He didn't say I gave them a little. Gave them a taste. Because those words you gave to me, I gave to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. We know we could never have believed if something hadn't been given to us. If the Holy Spirit hadn't opened our eyes, if we hadn't been drawn. Watch what it says. I ask on their behalf. I don't ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you've given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I've been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you've given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you've given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that's Judas, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word. There he says it again. And the world has hated them, because they're not of the world. Listen to that. They are not of the world. Now, can I, I'm just going to give you a spoiler before we read to the end. A spoiler alert. You may be reading this going, he's talking about his disciples. He's talking about his disciples. He's not talking about me. So I'm going to skip ahead just for the sake of clarity. And I'm going to read you what he says a little bit later in verse 20. We'll read verse 20 again, but I want you to read it right now. I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. So that's you. That's how you're included in this prayer. Let's continue. He says, verse 15, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Then he says, even as I am not of the world. When he says, even as I, that could best be translated to say, in the exact same way 
as I'm not of the world, they're not of the world. So you go around, you could go around making excuses for all the, the times that you went a different way and go, well, I'm only human. But then you have to explain to me how, how, how we're saying this when he's not of the world, we're not of the world. Sure, you're human, but so is he. The difference is neither one of us are of this world anymore. We don't belong to it. It's not our home. It's not our place of origin. We may live in this world. Now, I don't mean to freak anybody out. I'm not talking about aliens, even though the scripture does call you an alien. I'm not talking about Martians. You were born in this planet. You'll, if Jesus tarries, you'll die here. Your, your body will. The rest of you live, right? But you're not of this world. In the same way, not in a different way, not in a lesser way, but in the same way as he's not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So his word is what cleans us. His word is what makes us holy. His word sanctifies us, makes us more like him. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. When you read this in this chapter, when you see as, you've got to read it in the same way as. So when he says, as you've sent me, you've sent them, here's how you can read it. In the exact same way you sent me, I sent them. Just the same. As you sent me, I sent them. Verse 19. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves may be sanctified in truth. I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Wow. Do you know that? That we may be in him? Colossians says, here's the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But then he goes on to say, my life is hidden in Christ. It's no longer me that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. If you want to find me, you have to look at him. He says, they may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you've given me, I have given to them. Do you see that Jesus wasn't just holding stuff back so he'd be special? Hey, he, he's always going to be special. He is always the firstborn amongst many brethren. He will always be the Lord. He will always be the master. Without him, we can do nothing. But when he walked on this planet, he didn't just say, I got a toolbox. You guys are going to have to figure it out. He left us the toolbox. He left you his spirit. He says, it's good for you if I go away, because if I do, I send my spirit to you. Verse 23, I in them, Jesus in you, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. That's not just unity with each other, guys. It does mean that, but it also means unity with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them in the same way that you loved me. That's a revelation, isn't it? That he loves you just as much as he loved Jesus. You didn't love Jesus more because Jesus was the good thing. You loved them just like you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you've given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not yet known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. I've made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. When we talk about being born again, 
you were made new and you were united with Christ. This is undeniable. You can't read your Bible and not believe that. You were made one with him. His nature was made available to you and is part of you. The thing is, remember we've said this before, your spirit's made new. Your brain, your mind, your flesh still needs work. The Bible says you've got to renew your mind. One of the best things about your brain is it can be taught. And it's got to learn that the whole that your spirit is the first place you go. And I believe this. Just as Paul said it, you can say it. Now, you may be, a, be the most undependable person you've ever met. <laughs> you may say, I can't even keep promises to myself. I tried New Year's and I failed. But I believe that just in the same way that you say I can love because God is love. I have peace because he is my peace. I'm righteous because he's righteous. I have joy because he's my joy. In the same sense, you can say I am faithful because he's faithful. And because his word is not yes and no at the same time, neither is mine. I believe that God is changing us. You already were changed in here. But the rest of you, that mind, that nature, those habits are changing as the word gets in you, as that seed is sown in you. As you walk by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit comes out in your life. And I believe that the fruit of the Spirit is yours in abundance, without measure. The Holy Spirit is yours without measure. God is not holding back anything from you. He's not cheating you. He's not rationing. He's not budgeting himself. He has poured out himself into you. You can walk like Jesus. You can pray like Jesus. You can talk like Jesus. And you must, because the world right now needs Jesus more than they ever have. They don't need you to just tell them stories about Jesus. They need to see Jesus. Jesus said this, and boy, have you ever noticed? Luke wrote two books in the Bible. The first was the Gospel of Luke. The second was the book of Acts. At the beginning of the book of Acts, he says this, My first account, dear Theophilus, was of all that Jesus began to do in his ministry on the earth. Now, if you read the book of Luke, it starts with his birth, and it ends with his death and resurrection, right? And yet, he says that's, that whole thing is what Jesus began to do? Why does he say it that way? Wouldn't you say that's all Jesus began and finished? No, because he's starting the intro of the book of Acts. That, that time on the earth is all he started. But he's going to finish it through his people. He's finishing it through his church. He's finishing that ministry through us. You've inherited his ministry, and he's inherited you. We carry his ministry. We carry his name. He wouldn't give you his name unless you're supposed to do something with it. We're here on the planet to represent Jesus, but not just that. He is going to confirm his word in you. He's going to confirm his word through you. And you're not just going to have to tell stories about him. People are going to see him through you. You've got to believe that. I am. It's no longer me that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. Christ in me is my hope of glory. My life is hidden in Christ. When you see me, I want you to see him. He's faithful. 
how faithful. He's love, so am I. That may sound arrogant, but until you can start seeing him for who he is, you don't know who you are. You know what? There's two big, big cogs of this wheel, and we'll close with this thought. There's two big thoughts that tie together here. First of all, as he is, so are we. You've got to know you've partaken of his nature. You, just like he is, you're supposed to be, and you can be through him. The second thing is this. You can believe that if that's his nature, I can be that way too, but unless you know his nature, you won't know what that means. Right? You can believe I can be just like Jesus, but if you don't know what Jesus is like, that doesn't mean much. So what do you have to settle in yourself? If you're going to be faithful, what is the number one thing you've got to settle in yourself? He's faithful. That's why Paul said all of his promises are yes. And we, through Jesus Christ, have our amen to the glory of God through us. You see, if you don't believe God is trustworthy, neither will you. You won't be trustworthy. If you believe that God changes on a whim, if you believe God snaps when he gets angry, and just throws all his promises aside. If you believe he's untrustworthy, you will be just like him. Not like he is, but like you think he is. You've got to believe he is faithful. You've got to know, as 1 John says, we have come to know and believe the love of God. You've got to believe in that love. You've got to believe in that faithfulness. If you're going to be like him, you have to know what he's like. Thank God we have his word, right? Thank God we have his spirit. Boy, he did not handicap us, did he? He gave you more than you'd ever need. You've got to realize that. He gave you his word. He gave you his name. Read that John 17, all the things he had that he gave to you. He gave you his spirit. He gave you his name. He gave you the glory he had. He gave you the love he had. He sent you with the same authority that he was sent. He gave you the word that he preached with. What do you need? he's already given it he's faithful and we know that he is let's stand up father you are faithful faithful never changing never ending never wavering you are always good you are all light and in you you are the father of lights in whom there is no shifting or shadow. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. You are not double-minded. Because if you were double-minded, you'd be unstable in all your ways, but you're not. And as you are, we say so are we. God, I realize, I recognize that the reality that we understand has been shaped by seeing the wrong thing. I understand that many of us in this room say, I don't know how you can say that. I am very, I, I'm very tough to depend on. I, I haven't been faithful. But right now, we refuse to let our past define who we are right now. We refuse to let the flesh define who we are. We want to define ourselves by who you are. We're yours. We're your people. We're sons and daughters of the living God. We're Christians. We're, we're of the same nature as you. We have the same anointing, the same spirit. We're your people. We're your church. So we commit that as you're faithful, so are we. 
As you love, so do we. You're our joy, so we have joy. You're our peace, so we have peace. You are our righteousness, so we are righteous. We fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. You endured the cross. You despised the shame. You endured that for us, that our old nature may be crucified, nailed to that cross, never to be brought back against us again. But you were risen for our justification. You were risen so that we'd have your nature. On the cross, we lost our old nature. But in the resurrection, we gained yours. We understand and acknowledge that the act of being born again meant we traded our life for yours. And I pray that that's a bigger reality than it's ever been. That we as believers would walk by the Spirit of God. That as the flesh has no control over us anymore, for we're not under obligation of the flesh. We're not under the law, we're under grace. So we don't have to listen to the flesh anymore. We don't have to do what it wants to do. We walk by faith and not by sight. The grace of God has been bestowed on us that we will walk free of the curse, free of sin, that we would represent you as ambassadors for Christ with the ministry of reconciliation. As the world looks upon your church in 2013 with all the darkness with all the catastrophes with all the wars and they look at your church may they see you may they see light in the middle of darkness may they see the answers as they look at your church we ask Lord that we would be more and more every day, a representation of who you are. They wouldn't look at us and say, I know Jesus, but who are you? They'd look at us and say, there he is. The love in his eyes. The word of God in their mouths. Fearing nothing. They fear God. With the authority of his name, they cast out evil spirits. They speak to the dead and they live. Eyes are opened, the lame walk. Surely, surely Jesus is alive. Surely Jesus is alive. And not just a dead figure in history, just not a good teacher, but he is alive. For I saw him. And when I look at this person, when I look at these people, I see him. I know him. That they may have eternal life. For this is eternal life. That we may know you. And know your son. So speak through our lips. Move in our hearts. Transform us. Remake us. Renew our minds. So that our faithfulness would echo yours. Our love would be yours. 
Father, in Jesus' name, I'm asking on behalf of those that have for so long felt the guilt and shame of not measuring up, felt the weight of not measuring up to that name, felt unworthy of that name. And in Jesus' name, I ask that that same grace, that same love that washed over them when they first believed, would assure their hearts right now that you have paid it all. That they would refuse to live a life full of condemnation, but instead would, would shed the guilt and the shame through, I mean, when they repent, that they would repent without regret. Be able to move on. Say, oh God, that may be who I was, but that's not who I am. They wouldn't be held as slaves under the grip of their past, of what people might say or think about them. But that tonight would be a fresh night, a new night. Tonight would be a clean break. They'd be able to walk out of this building light, full of the knowledge that you are their hope of glory. That you are what they never could be. That you made up the difference when they couldn't do it. That through their weakness, you've shown your power. When we're weak, you're strong. We don't depend on ourselves anymore, but on God who raises the dead. Thank you, Jesus.